Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. morning we're going to be in Luke 22 starting with verse 39 and the last time the message was titled ministering through trials so we're several hours out multiple hours out from the crucifixion the evening to the morning and Jesus is dealing with betrayal from Judas uh, pride ego from his disciples very strange situation he's trying to focus on his mission to die for our sins, and there's just all kinds of issues taking place in the meantime. But Jesus taught us something fantastic. He taught us that there actually is a ministry in trials and in suffering. So even though all these things were going on around him, he was still doing ministry. And sometimes in the church, some people have the attitude that their life almost has to become perfect before they'll actually step up and serve the Lord. But that's, that's problematic. It's not scriptural. There's actually some amazing uh, ministry that we could do in the valleys, and I'm going to talk more about that later. Today is Sermon 2. As Jesus is getting even closer to the crucifixion, He's still dealing with problems. It's not going smoothly. Um, you know, he's, when we're going to see the, these different kind of scenarios, three of them take place. Uh, in the first one, His disciples are supposed to be there with Him, praying with Him, and uh, they're failing. But what he's doing is he's encouraging, he's encouraging them. So when we look at these scenarios, we're going to find out that, uh, number one, what he does is he, he strengthens the disciples in the midst of their failures. Right? The, in the next group of verses, what he does is he heals Malchus's ear. We're going to talk about the man who Peter tries to be swordsman, cuts the guy's ear off, and Jesus does a healing. And then uh, in the last part, uh, he, with just a look, he just encourages Peter, and we're going to talk about how powerful that look was. So this morning, we're going to check this out, and we're going to go into uh, four different parts regarding that discussion. So jumping in in verse 39, it says, Coming out, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him. When he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood, falling down to the ground. When he rose up from prayer and had come to his disciples, he found them sleeping from sorrow. From sorrow. Then he said to them, Why do you sleep? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. So one out of four is trials in loneliness. Right? This was uh, the first few verses. We see that this was a common retreat that Jesus made with his disciples into the Mount of Olives, the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, and I have to laugh because there's so many 
things that we can take from this. If you're an observer, if you're a new Christian, whatever, uh, if you're in ministry, ministry can be stressful. <laughs> so, so Jesus, imagine all the healings that Jesus did and the feedings and the teachings. So he was fully man as well as fully God. So he did retreat, and this was a common place that he and his disciples went to pray and to just, um, just relax for a little bit. And we are told in Matthew's Gospel that Peter, James, and John go on a little bit further with Jesus, but they also fall asleep. Now Jesus says to them, pray that you don't enter into temptation. So what do we think, right, uh, when we hear about temptation? We think about vice, we think about money, sex, power, uh, all the type of things that come with, with our understanding of temptation. But his concern for his followers were the temptation to stray away from God. That's powerful. Because they were allowing their circum... This is why the, there's, I have a real problem with the prosperity gospel. Because they teach everything's wonderful all the time. And then you go into things that everybody else deals with, troubles in your life, and that gospel is a false gospel, and you don't know what to do with it. Right? You can't find any peace because now there's things that are, that are happening. So things are going to happen. We are going to have difficult circumstances. Jesus told his followers that we will have trials in the world, right? But that he has overcome the world, and we'll see the results of that in the future. Uh, so, you know, today people do the same thing. They stray from God. They allow their circumstances to pull them away from God. And again, I'm not judging. I'm just saying it's this thing that happens, and we're going to talk about that. Verses 42 through 44, Jesus talks about the symbolism or the metaphor of the cup. So those that are new to the Bible, right, will see, wow, Jesus speaks a lot in parables and metaphors and symbols. What is this cup that he's talking about? Now, the cup has Old Testament precedent. The cup would be a picture of judgment. Okay, so if you read the Old Testament, the cup of judgment. Interestingly enough, we do this every year, Messiah and the Passover, the Passover Seder has incredible symbolism. And there is one of the cups of judgment. Okay? So there's a lot of messianic uh, pictures in the Passover Seder. However, Jesus was going to receive the cup of judgment. For what? For the sins of the world. John 3.16 For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish, but have eternal life. 3.17 for God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. That wasn't the plan. But that through Him the world might be saved. The sin of the world, we brought, the human race brought on itself. We've already condemned ourselves, separated ourselves from God. What Jesus is doing is trying to bring everybody back to God. And that's why He came. Verse 44 brings us to this idea that He, Jesus is, it's an interesting thing. He prayed more earnestly, then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. So the observers look at this, um, or they see it on his face, and they're, they're kind of perplexed by that. And it's so funny how people will attack the Bible, and then science always catches up with the Bible. There's actually a condition called hematohydrosis, uh, or hematodrosis. You can look it up yourself. It's a medical term where the, the stress is so great that the capillaries at the surface of the skin, they burst and they mix with the fluid from the sweat glands and there's a mixture that comes out when you sweat. If we could put up the image, that's actually hematohydrosis. It looks like a child, but 
the sweat is coming out and you see it accumulating by the chin, it's red, but it's coming out of her face, out of her skin. So, right, people say, oh, that's ridiculous. <laughs> you know, we know it's a condition today. And the, the situation um, really was this, this uh, stress about having to go to the cross. And it's, people say, well, he's God. Like, right, that's the whole point. He is God. He's never sinned. He's never, been, he's never done a sin. So here he is. He's going to take a situation where the sins of the world are foisted upon him and he has to die for the sin of the world for us. Now, this is interesting because in Hebrews 12, too, it says that for the joy set before him, before Jesus, he endured the cross. Now, the joy, most Bible teachers believe, is us, Right? Jesus is going to save humanity from their sins. So it's kind of this paradox of extremes. It's actually wild when you think about it, is that great stress of having to bear the sins of the world that he didn't even commit one sin. So it's sort of unjust, right? Where's the justice in that? Uh, So it's not something he deserved. uh, But at the same time, he had great joy knowing that people would come over two millennia and receive him as their Lord and Savior and be saved. People from all over the world. You could find uh, Christian groups everywhere, in Hindu communities, in uh, atheist communities, in Israel, in the United States. This, you know, everywhere you go, uh, there are those who, who receive Christ as their Savior. You know? And it's an amazing thing. I was talking about that uh, son of Hamas who started reading the Bible, and he, he became a Christian just by reading literally, I think, a few verses, if I remember the story correctly. So that's, that's a powerful thing. So there's two things going on. But Jesus said to the Father, God the Son to God the Father, nevertheless, your will be done. Because there was no other way for humanity be, to be saved. So this was something he had to go through. Um, and verse 4, an angel, verse 43, an angel appeared to strengthen him. Now that's interesting because people get confused. Um, I love when uh, <laughs> you know people that I know they send me a TikTok video. So all of a sudden, you know, there's all the history, there's the evidence, there's archaeology, and somebody wavers because they saw a two-minute and fifty-second TikTok video, right? <laughs> so just kind of attacking the things of the Bible, and they're all over the place. And quite frankly, they're ridiculous. Uh, but the, the question or the, the point that some people say is, well, Jesus could have been an angel. He could have been you know, something else. Hebrews actually tells us that he, in coming to the earth, the incarnation for a little while was made lower than the angels. What does that mean? He was fully God, but he took on full humanity at the same time. So actually, when you look at the way things are done, right? God is eternal. He created the heavenly realm, the angels and such, created the human race, Angels are a lot more powerful. But what Jesus did when He took, fully took on humanity, it said for a little while, positionally, it's a theological term, He was made lower than the angels, right? Because He took on that full humanity. So here, uh, Jesus had a hand in creating the angels before the incarnation, and one of His creations comes and ministers to Him while He's in the form of a man. It's pretty wild. Again, it's one of those things where uh, it, this isn't a two-minute discussion. And people try to make it on social media, a two-minute discussion. It's, it's a broader discussion. You'll always find me pulling in scriptures from everywhere 
to make to give the full picture. Right? It was, and I was an investigator by nature, and I'm still doing the same thing. Uh, so verse 45 through 46, the disciples fail, and we fail. And I've said it millions of times. I would never have considered getting in the ministry had I not seen that Jesus' closest followers failed. Then I'm like, well, I fail. Maybe I, I should sign up, you know what I'm saying? If they were perfect, I would have never signed up for ministry. Uh, so they fail him. The t- temptation is so strong. The sorrow, you know. You, you ever get, listen, this is the beautiful thing about the Word. All these applications. Do you ever get to a place where you're just going through something, man? It's a health situation, or a loved one is sick, or you know, all these things are coming down on you, and you just want to sleep. Has anybody ever been there? Oh, come on. Yeah, that's right. It's a lot of hands, a lot of grumbling. And I've been there too, just so you know. I just want to lay in bed. I know what's coming. <laughs> I don't want to get out of bed. And it, it's an emotional thing that sort of comes over us and affects us physically. Right? These are, these are medical terms that we can have a discussion about. So the disciples, you know, things were great for three and a half years. Hey, what are we going to do today? Jesus is going to feed 5,000 people. What are we going to do tomorrow? Hey, I think he's going to raise the dead. Hey, that guy came in with a crutch. He's, he's running around like he's like a little child. Then all of a sudden, it gets real. The crucifixion's coming. So, do we understand why the disciples were overcome with sorrow? Of course. Of course. But Jesus tried to strengthen them and say, listen, you've got to be praying through this. And Matthew 26 adds this famous verse that Jesus says to His disciples, the Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Isn't that true? Right? In my spirit, you know, especially seeing the world events, I want to, I want to go out and I want to talk to everybody about Jesus. I want to, I want to pray with everybody. And, and my body's like, we're hungry. My body's like, we're tired. You know, it, your flesh is slows you down. Like in your heart, you just want to. Peter wanted to serve the Lord. He boasted, and here he is. Where do we see his failure? In his flesh. He fails. This is why we've got to keep in prayer. And, you know, I, I try to encourage people. I don't uh, belittle them. I don't demean them. You know, you've got to pray. No, you, you really need to pray because it'll, it'll help you in those times where, you know, you don't know what to do. Even Romans 8 says the Spirit will make intercession for us with groans and utterings, things we can't comprehend when we're tapped out. And let me tell you something American culture exhausts people, especially this area. Every pastor's got to talk to his congregation in the culture that they're planted in. American culture is tiring. Some of you probably walked in, I shouldn't remind you, probably walked in here this morning and thought, what you have to do this week, or what you have to do tomorrow at work, right? I'm sorry. Just forget it in a few seconds. We'll talk about some other things. But, you know, Jesus' ways are always right. The flesh is weak, but the Spirit is willing. Matthew and Mark tells us that even the A-team, you know, Matthew, I'm sorry, um, James, John, and Peter fell asleep too. They were all falling asleep. They tried. Jesus would wake them up. You you shouldn't be sleeping right now. And he walks away. They crashed out. So um, they weren't prepared, right? I have to tell you that it was kind of cool that James and uh, Steve is in here. They were teaching. Uh, they were downstairs with the teens. I was downstairs with one of the, you know, the classrooms with the students. And uh, I, 
I, I went to the teen room just for a little bit, and they were talking about, it was so, so cool, there was like 12 teenagers, right, high schoolers, sports players, and they were there, and they were talking about injuries and all kinds of stuff, and I just felt led to share one nugget of information with them and then go back to the other classroom, and it was so cool, and I talked to them about when they're in the valleys, right, when they're in recovery, when they're in pain, when things aren't, don't go as planned, and I just talked about what a great ministry is in the valleys. And that's, that takes time as a Christian to learn that. Because sometimes we think, oh, it's the valley. Oh, it's the storm. I just got to hunker down and you know, protect myself and you know, put up the walls. But you know, there's great uh, testimonies that can take place in the valleys. I, I, you know, I don't come up here and complain about what's going on in my life. I just ask you to pray for your leaders. But... You know, there's sometimes I come up to this pulpit and I'm just being honest with you. I don't want to be here. It's rare, but something's happening in my life. Something is plaguing me for the week, and I'm just tapped out. I just kind of put my notes, I fold them, I put them in a corner and say, Lord, you're going to have to get me through this because I'm, I'm just suffering. I'm having a difficult time. But I come here, I do what I'm supposed to do. I smile at people. I don't snap at them and mope. Um, but... And, and I, I find myself barely getting through the sermon. And inevitably, four or five people come up to me and say, with tears in their eyes, that they were so ministered to by that. There's something about a Christian when we're being crushed by the world and we're just still holding on to God and trusting Him. Sometimes that's actually better than when we're flying high because we, tempt, we attempted to do it in our own strength. So then I scratch my head and go, okay, okay, let me figure this out, God. <laughs> when things are going really rough, people like the sermons. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I'm either crazy or this is real. You know what I'm saying? So some of you that know me think it could be the former, but a combination of both, I don't know. So the sermons in the valleys, the, uh, the ministry in the valleys, uh, and we see Pastor Vinny's going through the book of Acts, how after the ascension, you know, disciples, Jesus isn't tangibly with them, but they are doing amazing things, even in being imprisoned and beaten and all the things they're suffering for. Very different men and women from this time. But I look at these trials of loneliness. The amazing thing was uh, God never sleeps. So God the Son, even though He had His camaraderie, it wasn't there. The men that was with him for so many years they were not reliable but God the Father and God the Son were there and um, God tells us in his word I will never leave you nor forsake you you might feel that you're incredibly lonely at times but there's one that's with you and that's the Lord so you know it might not be a tangible thing but it's it's a reality it's truth maybe God will show us those moments when we get to be with heaven all the times he was with us when we thought we were alone Powerful stuff. Verse 47, it says, And while he was still speaking, and Jesus is trying to tell them, you've got to stay awake, you've got to pray, behold, a multitude, and he who was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When those around him saw what was going to happen, they said to him, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? Remember the prior conversation that we covered? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. That was Peter. <laughs> but Jesus answered and said, Permit even this. And he touched his ear and healed him. 
Then Jesus said to the chief priests, captains of the temple, and the elders who had come to him, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you daily in the temple, you didn't try to seize me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. Powerful. So two, trials and betrayal. right? Verse 47 and 48, it's game time. What Jesus warned his disciples about was now happening. Jesus speaks about uh, temptation, but here comes the trial for everyone. And this actually was... The kiss was, so students, it wasn't uncommon uh, to go up to their rabbi, their teacher, and give them a kiss on the cheek. A lot of cultures do that. It's a sign of you care for that person, you respect them. It's a sign of affection. But Judas manipulated that greeting so that the people that came, the, the mob, would know specifically who Jesus was. Right. So he betrays them with a kiss. Uh, you know, I think about today... Right? How many times have we had situations, and we don't know, right? We don't know what's in somebody's heart. You ever been in a situation where somebody, oh, they're so loyal to you, they love you so much, they heap praises upon you, and they're conspiring behind your back, right? But how did Jesus handle it? Uh, Jesus is always <laughs> the best example. Uh, verse 49 through, I mean, he pointed it out, certainly, but he still loved Judas to the end. Verse 49 through 50, chaos ensues among the disciples because they weren't prayed up. Peter strikes with the sword. Now, there was a former conversation that we covered in Luke where Jesus just tells them to be prepared and the disciples pull out swords and Jesus is like, all right, just enough. You know, you're you're not getting what I'm saying, right? So he's trying to teach them spiritual things. They're responding physically Somebody says, shall we strike with the sword? But we know Peter actually takes the, the sword and cuts off, I guess, the closest guy. Not much of a marksman. If he was aiming for the neck, he cut his ear off. But stick to fishing, Peter. <laughs> so, uh, and Warren Wiersbe, I love this. It just was said so succinct. And, and I, I figured, be courageous. Warren Wiersbe's book on the situation. He said, this is great. He says, why did Peter do this? For one thing, he had to back up the boastful words he had spoken in the upper room. And again, on the way to the garden, Peter had been sleeping when he should have been praying. Peter was talking when he should have been listening and boasting when he should have been fearing. Now he was fighting when he should have been surrendering. <laughs> it's pretty, pretty neat, isn't it? I mean, how can, can, can we take that? Right? Can we take that advice? I know I can. I'll just speak for myself. I read stuff and I think about my life and I think, yeah, you could learn something from that. You know what I'm saying? That's why it's called the living word. Because no matter who reads it, if we have another thousand years on the earth, which I don't think we will, um, you know, as long as, as much as you read the word, you will always find an application for your life. I mean, there's poetry that was written centuries ago that it's nice. It's a culture that's kind of dead and there's really no, it's, it sounds nice, put it to music or whatever, but it's not going to really change your life. But the Word will. It's worded in such a way by the Holy Spirit that something that should be dead for 2,000 years will still affect you this morning. Otherwise, I couldn't do this. I'd find something else to do, you know what I'm saying? Um, but there's so many applications in this. Uh, it's very powerful. The multitude came. Now, I have a childlike imagination, so I always try to think about what were the people thinking at the time. 
Why did so many people come out to arrest Jesus? Think about this. Right? So probably they thought, well, if he can heal people and he could do miracles, maybe five of us trying to get him won't work. You know, they, so they brought all these people with weapons and a mob and you know, thinking, I don't know, Jesus could have easily smitten them as well. You know, I guess more numbers the better. But he wasn't going to resist because he had to go to the cross for us. He submitted. So it's pretty powerful stuff. Verse 51, Jesus even heals Malchus. John 18 tells us that the guy's name whose ear was cut off, his name was Malchus, um, even under duress. Jesus said, permit even this, and that can be translated, <laughs> come on guys, touch his ear, no more of this, stop. It's not what I meant. So those are my paraphrases, right? And he touches the man's ear and heals it, and you probably could have heard a pin drop when that actually took place. So not only did the disciples not get Jesus' teachings, but he's also cleaning up their messes. And I can tell you, that Jesus has cleaned up some of my messes too in life. <laughs> um, I know that I'm going to face something, I'm going to deal with something, and I just pray to the Lord, I'm like, Lord, uh, just, I just pray that you mitigate it as much as, as, much as possible, because I'm, I'm really having a hard time right now. And uh, especially when I was working two professions, uh, especially in law enforcement, I would pray, suit up, I'd pray on the way into work, and just ask the Lord to give me wisdom. Give me safety, help me to find the truth, and that was something that you know we, we can all do, right? We can all do. I even pray for little things, for little things in life. People think, oh, God doesn't want to hear something, you know, something small. Sure, He does. He doesn't say, well, these are the prayers you should pray, and these are the prayers you shouldn't. We're like we're His children, and children come up to us with all types of things, don't they? Right? But they believe in their parents. They believe in the adults that love them. We have to believe in our God. Amen? Matthew 26, uh, Peter, or Jesus tells Peter, you know, he, he tells him to stop and that he could call down 12 angels, 12 legions of angels right now and smite those that were coming after him. Um, you know, his time had come. And at the end of Matthew 26, so here's the deal. Sometimes, and I've said this before, and I found this years ago in life, that it's easier to stand and fight than to run away and to, you know, not engage, right? So Peter just takes out the sword. His adrenaline's probably running. He goes to cut the guy's ear off. Jesus heals the guy, tells them to stop. And by the end of this uh, portion of Scripture, Matthew tells us that all the disciples flee, so this is interesting. They flee, but we're told that Peter and John come back, but Peter follows the Lord at a distance. We're going to get to that. It's actually quite fascinating. right? Um, temptation. Let me just kind of give you the word here because we have different ideas of what the word temptation means. The Greek word is pirasmas, and there's two prongs to temptations. It's something that tries to draw you in, Right? And we talked about vice, maybe addictions, all kinds of things that try to suck you in to harm you. That's a temptation. But temptations, uh, that word can also mean trials. So it can mean something to draw you in, but it could also mean something that's happening that's extremely difficult, that's, that's challenging or testing your faith. 
verse 52 through 53, Jesus reveals the hypocrisy of this mob. Right? He reveals the hypocrisy of the mob. Because John 18 tells us, right? I put all the scripture together here, all of it together, all the nuances, all the details, that this was a place that Jesus and the disciples often retreated. It wasn't a hideout, right? It wasn't a place where they're hiding from the authorities. They openly went to this sort of retreat place. So Jesus, um, he calls out the hypocrisy of the mob. And then he was in the temple doing miracles, right? He was in front of crowds. He's like, why don't you just take me then? You know, why did you have to do this in the middle of the night? Because they didn't want to anger the followers. So it was very hypocritical. If he's wrong, take him. If he's not wrong, leave him alone. So John 18 tells us two miracles were done here. And this is an amazing thing. So Malchus's ear is healed, right? There's a lot of detail in here. Malchus's ear is healed, but... Another thing that happened was when the mob came to Jesus, John speaks about this. They ask him if he is Jesus of Nazareth. Now, years ago, I used to serve warrants, and not everyone's going to tell you the truth, but you ask, are you John Doe? A lot of people will say yes. Well, I have a warrant. Here's the paperwork I have to bring you in. So this stuff is, this all makes sense. So the, the leaders say to Jesus, are, are, are you Jesus of Nazareth? And Jesus responds. Now, I don't know if he said it in the Greek or he said it in the Hebrew. If he said it in the Greek, he would say, Ego emi. If he said it in the Hebrew, he would have said, Yod vavhe. How did Jesus respond to them? Oh, I'm Jesus of Nazareth? He didn't say that. He said, I am. And, now that was the name, that's the Tetragrammaton name in Exodus 3, where Moses asked God, Who are you? He said, I am. Jesus says the same thing. And when he says that, it's in John's Gospel, it's very powerful. The people who are going to take him fall over. How did he say it? Did it come out like the transfiguration? But they fall back. And they pick themselves up, and then he lets them take him. So that was a miracle too. Just by saying... So, and again, I talk about social media, I talk about lies we see on TV. Jesus never claimed to be God. Does Jesus have to say to everybody, okay, I'm God. He said, I am. Because the word God can be a name for a false God. He doesn't have to say, I am God. There's big G, true God, and then little g, false gods that people worship. Jesus said, I am. I am. I always was. I always will be. If that doesn't convince people, I don't know what they're looking for. John 8 claimed to be God. John 10 claimed to be God. John 18, he claimed to be God. It's all over John's Gospel and the other Gospels and other books. So next time somebody says to you, oh, Jesus never claimed to be God, come to me, I'll write some scripture out for you, read it, and then show it to your friends. Because he did, and that's why the people fell over. Now, my again, my conjecture is that is that what Jesus was doing was he was even trying to show the mob who he was. The miraculous healing, the uh, expression of, of deity, so that maybe, you know, mob mentality is weird. You see these videos all the time. Oh, is he such a nice boy? She's such a nice girl. And then you see videos of a bunch of people going and doing, like, you know, robbing a store or whatever. And it, it's almost, it's a psychological thing. It's, it's really a thing in psychology. They, all be, they almost work as one unit. But if you got them separately, they're actually 
They're not that type of person. So what the mob does is the mob sees the miracles, they go home, and some of them maybe get saved. Right? We, we see that in the Scripture. Could you imagine Malchus? So, so Peter goes and cuts his ear off. Man, there's a lot of nerves in the ear. <laughs> it must have been painful. And Jesus, permit even this, stop. He goes to heal his ear. Could you imagine Malchus coming back right, to the barracks and his friends are like, Malchus, you've got blood all over your shirt. Where'd that come from? Did you get a nosebleed or something? No, no, no. One of the followers cut my ear off. It looks good to me. There's no, there's no scar or anything. Yeah, well, the guy that we arrested, Jesus, he, he just touched my ear and it, it kind of went back. I guess he didn't do his laundry too. You know, the blood, I don't know. I don't know how it went down, but imagine the testimony that Malchus had after that day. Pretty wild. Just touching his ear and making sure it's really, it's really attached. That's a small miracle compared to all the things that Jesus does. But he tells the mob, for your hour and your power of darkness, this is your time. You know, the Bible says that evil deeds are done in the darkness, right? Humanity does their evil deeds in the darkness. I tell you what, we, we live in a culture now that evil deeds are being done in the light. What does that tell you? Right? It used to be at nighttime, you know, I would work shift work overnight and stuff would happen by two in the morning, all kinds of crazy things while most people are sleeping. There's crimes being committed, right? Now, we look at American culture, people just do it brazenly. They don't care. They're not even trying to hide it anymore. You know, it, it's sad. I'm just hoping that the more things get like this, that, and I'm starting to see people come to me at, that normally wouldn't, that were maybe hardened, and um, ask about the things of God. Ask about prophecy. Ask about Jesus and coming to Christ. Ask about forgiveness. I'm seeing a ministry field. And you know what? If it takes these negative things to get the world saved, then so be it. Because we're going to spend a lot more time there than we're spending here. So um, that's, that's what we're talking about. So trials and betrayal. To, the, to a large extent, the religious system, it was corrupt. Judas, who, who was the traitor. But on a smaller scale, you know, his disciples failed. But he still ministered through those trials. Last few verses, 54. Having arrested him, Jesus, he went willingly, they led him and brought him into the high priest's house. But Peter followed at a distance. Now when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. And a certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, This man was also with him, meaning Jesus. But Peter denied him denied him, Christ, saying, Woman, I do not know him. After a little while, another saw him and said, You also are of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. Then after about an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed, saying, Surely this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. Just so you know, and this is a historical note, Galileans had a specific type of accent, Right? that you could say, oh, that guy, he's definitely a Galilean. Kind of reminds me of uh, in, in Europe with the Scottish. They have a certain way of speaking, but they're so closely related to some of their neighbors that the only thing that gives them away is when they start to talk. So Peter probably started to feel comfortable. Hey, nobody's locking me up, you know what I'm saying? And he's talking and somebody's like, dude, you're a Galilean. You're like, we're in Judea here. 
You, you, you definitely were with Jesus. So Peter said, man, I do not know what you were saying. Immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord, so he's some distance away from Jesus. Jesus is bound. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. Three out of four is trials and desertion. The once vociferous, boastful supporter of Jesus was now unstable. Right? He now couldn't even get himself to say anything nice about Jesus. Um, but it says it right here. Peter followed the Lord at a distance. Folks, this applies to us. And there are Christians today who follow the Lord at a distance. And that's where we always get ourselves in trouble. And I'll admit, so see, I'm not one of those people that points fingers from up at this pulpit, that when I first became a Christian, I was a few years into law enforcement, and you know, you prove yourself, you want to fit in, and then God's knocking at the door of my heart. And it was quite a few years where I followed the Lord at a distance. And I became unstable emotionally because I really wanted to follow the Lord, but there was, a, there was a price that I had to pay for just at least openly saying that I was a Christian. Um, it was tough. It was tough. James 1 says that the double-minded man or woman is unstable in all of their ways. So when we follow the Lord at a distance, either you follow Him or you don't follow Him. However, we will go through, right, as people of faith, especially in the beginning, or when we're tested, we will go through these trials of following the Lord at a distance. Now, the cat's out of the bag. I'm behind the pulpit here, right? You know what I'm saying? So, um, I, I, it's just, it, it's much better on this side. You know, you, you are who you are. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, but it's, it's something that, that people do. Peter was in enemy territory without prayer support, and we see the results of that. Peter was in the marketplace or the courtyard of ideas. We see that today. We're in the technological marketplace of ideas, aren't we? we listen, I like being outside. I like walking. I like the fresh air. Some people never have to leave their homes. They do everything from behind the keyboard, including socialize, which I think is dangerous. You know, the marketplace of ideas. Peter was with there with some that had an affinity towards Jesus, were curious to how this was going to work out. Peter was there with some people that hated Jesus because he was stealing their thunder because they were corrupt, right? Um, and you see this on social media, the marketplace of ideas. Some Christians are afraid. And listen, I don't, I don't subscribe to, here's a little caveat, I don't subscribe to obnoxious Christianity. Getting it out there for the sake of being obnoxious, and you know, I see that. Just be yourself. You're in Christ. Be the person that you are. And you know what? Your true friends will stay your true friends. The ones who leave you for believing in, in Christ are not your true friends. You know, they could be frenemies. Who knows? So I, I have to learn all these words in my 50s. <laughs> so, uh, so this is what's going on. And. You know, in the crowd, they were probably talking. Some might have said, yeah, but I, I'm not a follower of Jesus, but I did see him do that miracle. You know, that's really hard to explain if he, you know, if he wasn't something more than a man. Um, 
my question to you is, are we seeking for the truth or are we trying to fit in? Are we committed followers or are we just part of the crowd? This comes and goes. We'll find something else later that comes and goes. Peter wanted to stay connected, but at a distance. Right? And I just want to encourage anyone who's wavering today, just jump in with both feet. Just do it. You'll feel emotionally, spiritually, it'll be a lot better, trust me. I was that person. So, um, Next Sunday we're going to get into the six trials. Uh, it really was a kangaroo court because Jesus did nothing wrong, but they crucified him anyway. So he ends up at uh, Annas' home, then Caiaphas' home. We'll talk about that. Uh, the third trial, he ends up before the Sanhedrin. He ends up with Pilate's jurisdiction. Pilate kicks the can down the road to Herod because Jesus came from Herod's district. Herod wants to see Jesus do a miracle. Jesus doesn't do tricks for people. He was silent the whole time, so he sends him back to Pilate. So there's six trials, and uh, he was a hot potato to say the least, a political football. But even today, people don't know what to do with Christianity. They don't know what to do with it. Right? What do we do with it? What do we do with those Christians? What do we do when they push against the decadence of the culture? We don't like it. You know? We just want to silence them. So, four, unconditional love amidst trials. This is powerful. Jesus told Peter beforehand that, that he would deny him. And Peter, I think he sort of argued with him. But here we see that uh, it was a true statement. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know if you've heard roosters. Um, <laughs> the house I lived before, my neighbor had roosters. And uh, so where we live now, we have new neighbors move in, and they have a rooster with a bunch of chickens. And we like them. They're kind of cool. But that crowing of a rooster is unmistakable. It's very crisp. It's very curt. And it, it's the same song every time they do it. So no doubt when people when Peter heard, this is so cool how the Bible is just is so real. Peter hears, you know, and he's like, he just remembered, and he probably you ever get that adrenaline shot, and you remember something, and he, you know, Jesus he looks at Jesus, Jesus is looking at him, and then Peter weeps bitterly. That's powerful. Actually, as a matter of fact, before. Before that happened, right before the rooster, Matthew twenty six seventy four, Peter is is he begins to curse and swear. He's losing control of himself emotionally because he's so conflicted. However, verse sixty two it says Peter wept bitterly. You ever you ever have a good cry and it just it almost takes control. It's very cathartic. It's very you know, get your heart racing. It's, you know, Peter has this cathartic, he weeps bitterly. But you know what it does? It shows that his heart was good. Because when Jesus reminded him, when he told him that he would fail him, he also said, you're going to be restored. And I'm praying for you, Peter. Isn't that awesome? He goes, and when, you're, when you come back, strengthen your brethren. Isn't that great how God, you know, he's, he thinks so much of us, right? He's like, I know you can do this. It's not like the world. You do something wrong once, you're out. You know, people just, they'll cut you off. The Lord, He wants to see us overcome. And this was a big thing. This is a big failure for the A-team, so to speak. Uh, but the Lord loved him. He loved him. He promised him 
restoration. And I've got to tell you this, I can't get this picture of Peter out of my mind. It's, it's in my soul. It's when I was reading the Bible, I was so fixated on Peter, the Peter principle. I just want to encourage anybody who's here. I don't say it judgmentally. I say it that if you're wavering, the Lord loves you. He loved Peter when Peter betrayed him. Let's even talk about the look that he gives him. In this world, when they say when we read that Jesus looked at Peter and he weeps bitterly, some people think that Jesus looked at him with the look of sternness. I knew you would mess up. You're a big disappointment. You're always messing up. That's not the look he gave him. That's the look we've heard, haven't we? That's what we've heard from people around us. In the, the Scripture, the Greek language has at least four, maybe five words for to look or to see. There's a specific word used in the Gospel that that Greek word indicates when he looked at Peter, he looked at him with longing concern or love. Jesus was going to be crucified in a few hours. And his, all of his followers failed him. But he looked at Peter with a look of concern and love. And that's our God. That's our God. He's always thinking about us. Right? So yes, ministering through trials, that is the title of today's message. Sermon 2 of 2. Hebrews 4.15 says, We do not have a high priest who is Jesus. We do not have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. And yes, there is a major application in all of this. And we see it, right? And, and maybe somebody today will learn, gee, I've got to think about that. Not that I'm looking forward to a trial, but I want to I ask the Lord while I'm going through a trial, Lord, can, can I minister to anybody in this trial? You ever go through a loss and then it breaks your heart? It causes you so much pain? And you're able to minister to somebody else because you've experienced that? Right? People look at me up here, they counsel with me in my office, and they have an impression of me that's not a real impression. Well, what would you know? What would you know? I, I'm going through this. What would you know? Take off the glasses. <laughs> How much time do you have? <laughs> you know? And, and I find that the people who go through stuff sometimes are much more deeper character-wise. They've been through that sifting. They've been through that squeezing. But you know what? The Lord has gotten them through to the other side. So yes, ministering through trials. But I also want to say that Jesus shows us the way. We fail at times, but the Lord still loves us. He still dusts us off and picks us up and says, I'm proud of you. Isn't that a great thing for you, for you to hear somebody say, I'm proud of you. Yeah, but I, I, I it's okay. Let's put that in the past. I'm proud of you. Let's look at where you are today. Amen? You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7 p.m. And Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. 
You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to www.cccrossfields.org, where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions or have a prayer request, please email us at contact at cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless.